2: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash loss. That's plushcare.com slash loss.
1: Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I am Russell Tovey.
0: And I'm Robert Diamant.
1: And this is TalkArt.
0: Welcome to TalkArt.
1: How are you today, Rob?
0: Today, Russell, I am feeling spectacular. Oh... Yeah, Why? because well, <laughs> a there's many reasons actually. A, it's season fourteen. Can you believe it? Of oh, talk nuts. art, we, we, I think we've recorded something like plus two hundred, like more than two hundred episodes now. This might even be our two hundredth episode. And today we are meeting an an incredible artist who you, Russell Tovey, introduced me to initially. Mm-hmm. And about uh this time last year or a bit later, I read an amazing interview online with her and she was talking about the challenges during the pandemic and the way that she encountered boredom. And um, it really struck a chord with me because you and I were so hectic in the pandemic Mm. that we almost Mm. didn't have time for boredom. And I remember thinking about this idea that when you're a kid, that that kind of space you can create for yourself, for imagination and freedom. And there's even like friends of mine talk about parenting. And they talk about this idea that like, when you're a parent, you try and structure every single hour. You know, we've, we've got friends, mutual friends who have kids now. And like, they're all like working out everything to keep their kids entertained and educated and, you know, energetic and sporty and all these things. But actually what you need to do is encourage courage, boredom. And there was this beautiful, beautiful quote, which I'm going to read really quickly, because this is what stuck in my mind when I first discovered her work. She said that my senses became heightened for a hunt of the spectacular amongst the wreck of the day. And I just think that sums up so much about what talk art has been about, why why you and I love art, why all the people listening, um, whether they're creative or not, this idea that you can transform your day, that you can, you can, you know, be your darkest point or your most bored point, and you can still find something truly spectacular. It also got me thinking about uh, Dracula Spectacular, which I was in, I actually was Dracula, in the musical at school, Ross. Did you know that?
1: Oh, I'm sorry, I missed that.
0: Yeah, you, you missed that one. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I, I just love today's artist. I find her work totally extraordinary. It's got me thinking a lot about abstract art, but also non representational art, which I didn't really ever see as two distinct things. So I'm excited to talk about that as well. So we would like to welcome to Talk Art Pam Evelyn. Evelyn.
3: Hi, Pam. Hello, hello, welcome. <laughs>
4: <How> <laughs> welcome are you? to your world. <laughs> yes. We're, we're, yeah, we're well, very it's true because
0: right now we're looking at you in an incredibly vast studio with yeah. brand new paintings behind you. It's such an exciting sight.
3: Oh, it's been an amazing time. This is a studio I've been in here for about a month now, and um, it's just extraordinary. There's so much space in here, and I've been able to really make some cracking big canvases to work on and they're all they're all in a nice stage where things are just slowly warming up now so it's like the perfect time to talk
1: you normally work in big scale people who come to your paintings will see that they're, they're they're vast but you've now you're now in another studio where you're able to go even bigger with your scale
3: yeah yeah even bigger I mean the funny thing is is sometimes um canvases you know it's something feels big and then when you put it actually in this environment where the space allows big work to be um, on the wall it automatically shrinks and when you don't have the distractions of drawings or other work around a painting um, and it's just standing there on its own actually everything can become quite small again so um, this work it's nice because it's really going um, huge and I've got these three large panels behind me but there's three behind those so it's six panels in a row um, and it's just going to be this sort of expanse of space and it really enables me to um, explore big gestures in my work and use my arm and shoulder in, in making the work.
1: So you obviously work on more than one painting at a time you, you work yes, in yeah. series, like like we're seeing all these works behind you now. Will these become one body of work that you're aiming towards or can these be separate kind of adventures?
3: Um, I think, yeah, they're sort of all made in the same breath, as it were. So they all fee- feed off of each other. And sometimes I turn paintings around, I face them to the wall. And so I can only see maybe three paintings at a time. And that prevents... Um, them all becoming too similar and relying on each other as a crutch too much. Because when you have lots of paintings out all at once and that's all you look at day after day, um, sometimes the information can bleed a bit too much and then the, the works almost get lost in each other's company. And really it is quite important to allow each painting to, to exist in its own right and not rely on anything else.
1: Wow. So. So they have the, so each painting has its own personality. It's like they are part of the same family, but you, you're setting them free to go and have their own careers, as, as it were.
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and sometimes and sometimes there's a really natural show that can occur. So I had this um, my first episode solo show with Spectacle of a Rec uh, with Press Projects in Berlin, and um, what was really extraordinary is that work was made during COVID and it wasn't actually made for anything. It was a body of work that I was just making to pass time and really understand what I could actually do with paint. Um, And then this body of work came out of that and I was asked to do this solo show and naturally there was just a show that made sense with the work I had made during that time. so really, I think it's this natural thing. I think maybe writers, musicians have the same thing that happens to them. Um, your mind is in a specific place and that work then um, portrays that mindset quite, quite clearly.
0: Can we talk about a particular work in that show in Berlin? Because um, it blew my mind. It's called Spine Fence and it's 2021. And I think it's one of the most extraordinary works I've seen in the last decade. It's just literally, I know that sounds like hyperbolic, but it's true. I think it's such an outstanding work and it's composed of like three separate uh, canvases, I think, that then come together as a whole. Um, Can you talk a bit about that specific work, like honing into that show? Because I I love that show in in press projects. I think it's extraordinary.
3: Well, that that was a very strange painting that I made. It was these three panels and every single time the painting came into completion with these three panels, um, I would jumble it up. So I'd completely throw off the composition and um, what would happen was almost, it was like the self-destruction. So so the title Spectacle of a Wreck was kind of touching on the point that I was making these paintings in almost a self-sabotage mindset where if the work came to completion, I would just throw it all off and have to react to that. Um, So it was almost like, yes, this sort of salvage operation and reacting to this sort of self-destructive way of creating. But in that destruction was some real beautiful moments and um, also revealed, I don't know, like a vulnerability to, what can happen when a painting collapses and you have to then recover and find find that moment where everything's balanced again. So it's like this dance in that painting that finally came together.
1: This process of self-sabotage is something that you really rely on. It seems like you start a process of painting, of trying to fuck yourself up, basically, test yourself and then try and almost solve the puzzle of what the painting yeah. is. But that's a really fascinating place to kick off every yeah. work from.
3: Yeah, it's funny. It's I guess it's sort of a place where when you feel like you're in the deep end or you feel like you're acting in this sort of recovery mode and you're getting sort of lost in the work, um, I just feel like you surprise yourself. So it's kind of like this intimate moment where when things sort of go off, and you allow the painting to sort of escape a a more controlled, mannered, um, designed way of making. So it's really me trying to shed any preconceived plan or um, even sort of shed kind of an expectation of the painting. And it's like putting myself as the viewer. So instead of dictating what the painting should be, I place myself in a position where the painting tells me where it's going and I just sort of have to react and I think it's for me just a very surprising way of making a painting and it it seems to work and it I like the challenge I like the kind of unexpected
1: it's incredibly existential in some ways that there's a quote that you Mm -hmm. had when you said um I began to familiarize myself with the temper and nature of my touch as if you like like you're saying you're not in charge of this and you're trying to work out and feel what your instinct is and this must constantly surprise you then you must be creating these works and yeah. stepping back and going where did that come from and what is this it's quite psychological
3: yeah it's very psychological yeah very psychological I mean there's this um balance I have with sort of enabling the outside world I mean I, I love landscape and I look at Mirandi a lot weirdly I'm absolutely obsessed with his touch because. In those paintings he really simplifies the subject but through that you he exposes this amazing kind of emotion through touch and um for me it's just tapping into that and almost trying to witness the being the witness instead of controlling things and it's a very it's a very temperamental place to be you know I get very very kind of caught up in it and sometimes when it's going wrong I feel sort of completely at loss and despair but at the same time I think you know brilliant moments of creation can come from that and um, I think that's the place I I like to sort of position myself in.
0: Do you ever get moments of like channeling the muse almost like I know if people write songs, they often just open their mouth and things pour out of their mouth, like words, you know, melodies as you're writing a song on a piano or a guitar. Improvising. Yeah. And just and yes, it's almost totally. like a spiritual kind of loss of yourself, like the opposite almost of the psychology. Do you do you, do you have moments of those where your mind just goes blank and you can just paint and you're free in that moment?
3: Do you know I would I chase that moment all the time. Um I think that that's really where where any painter would love to kind of um, enter that headspace but realistically I don't very often I think it takes just a long time of shedding that ego not asking too much from a painting um stop chasing a masterpiece or anything like that and and allow things to really kind of break away and dissolve into that that moment of yeah improvisation and chance um but really going with that. it's yeah that's a really beautiful way of putting it actually
1: what is the emotion then you feel when you know the painting's complete and do you put work out there and then have a moment once it's been in the world once it's in an exhibition of going like oh no I need to get back into this
3: (laughs) yeah so I to, to be honest I've noticed that when a painting's close to completion I'm just about to think right that's going in the in and you know about to kind of chuck it out yeah and feel like it's completely at the point of um just like a disaster and then it clicks and something then works and it it pulls itself back together almost as if out of the blue suddenly everything's working again and those that's the moment for me usually when the painting sort of self-realizes um and becomes a painting that I can walk away from and accept the fact that it's finished.
1: So you're, you're normally based in London. So we find you now yeah. in this vast studio. You, you've took up a residency somewhere, right?
3: Yes, yeah, so this is Anchor Studio. Um, it's with Portmore Studios and it's based in Newlyn, Lynn. Um, and it's the most incredible space. I mean, the history here is uh, amazing. Um, someone called Stanhope Forbes he built this studio and he would teach here and there's been a whole history of students um, coming here and learning how to paint Um, and they also worked a lot outside as well Um, so this whole studio was designed to really be exposed to the elements without being actually affected by the elements Um, and I've got the most amazing view of the New Lynn and the, the fishermen who are always busy out there and it's it's incredible um and then after Forbes was John Wells who is also a very significant painter he was friends with Peter Lanyon and um, there's just the most amazing history of painting that exists here and um, so I sort of escaped um here to just find out why why were artists so encouraged to come here and paint
1: and you found you've discovering why because you feel like you've yeah, really, yeah. really invigorated there and inspired.
3: Yeah, very much. It's it's kind of this beautiful thing where um, all of a sudden there's nature surrounding me. Um, I've encountered sort of depths of loneliness that are really important. You know, it's perspective as to what I have achieved, what where I'd like to take painting. Um, And it was it was an intimidating place to enter, but it's worked out. And I think that um, everyone needs to do it one one time in their life to really sort of think and have that time alone. Um, And it's just very different to London. (laughs)
0: London
3: is very loud and very busy. And I just needed to kind of pull away from that and slow down.
0: Yeah. Do you see the colors in the work shifting because of your location and the light? And like, even yeah. if you're experiencing the outdoors as you're on your way to the studio every day, is that having an impact on the work? Because I, I can already notice it looks quite like fresh. What's behind you? You know, like Botanical. in the sense of the. Yes. Yeah, it feels like a different palette slightly.
3: Yeah, I mean the light here is absolutely extraordinary. I mean, I read about that. That's one thing they would say about something about Cornwall light um but it's definitely real I can sort of sense it um throughout the day it's just extraordinary and I guess I've chosen a really good time as well I've come down here during summer as you can see by my glowing red (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah it's just extraordinary and actually I've been going out at night I went swimming at 1am once Mm. with some with some friends and um yeah that was extraordinary because the light glowing on the flesh in the sea and sea was black and then our bodies just illuminated by obviously the moonlight or something um it's just a moment i'll never forget it's it's small things like that that kind of it's a stain on your memory and then that feeds into the work one way or another
1: i think i that the stain on your memory there's another quote where you said about the stain of the everyday enters the studio yeah and it's it's like an excavation you know the, the title of the show at Perez Projects was a uh, spectacle of a wreck which was based on a, a yeah. shipwreck in Scotland that you saw and it's this kind of mining archaeological energy which you have with paint.
3: Yeah totally yeah exactly and also the show sure, and um, the approach was built on clay and that was basically all about the fact that my foundation I see the canvas is very slippery foundation where every application sinks and then I'm constantly trying to rebuild and everything kind of is drawn in and then comes back out and forms are sort of re over and over again um and I guess it is also sort of this pace that I was thinking about like my paintings take quite a long time to make and um I also want. To, I, I felt like I was sort of walking through mud at times, making these paintings, and then I just thought about looking slowly. Like that's such an important thing. Paintings that ask for you to look slowly. Um, so that show was sort of all about just. Um, well, I was hoping that my paintings would just slow down this idea of looking, and the the paintings would reveal themselves gradually, bit by bit, sort of meet you halfway and then tease you tease you in some more so as,
1: as a maker talking about that looking slowly so teaching yourself that or understanding that in your own practice when you then go off to galleries and see other artists work do you find yourself practicing what you want to preach when you are a, a viewer a
3: little bit <laughs> yeah I need to stop yeah you become I, I guess it's very hard to when you do something when you look at work and you also paint um, it's very hard not to project and assume and it's about being open and um, looking at other painters looking at the risks they take and understanding that you know painting's so broad that um, there's loads of different ways of doing it um, but yeah it's hard to it's hard to shed the fact that i'm a painter and I have my ways of doing something um, but yeah it's just about reading what's in front of you and trying to step
0: into their shoes you know and I I heard this word uh used in a bio of yours I think on Marcel Joseph's website who's a friend of mine she's a great collector and philanthropist and it, it said palimpsestic surface and this word palimpset oh yeah um used to really freak me out because in the early days of me going to art galleries, I remember there being something about palimp, palimp, palimp set, and it was so esoteric to me, and so kind of like exclusionary as a word, because I just like did not understand it. And yeah. even when I looked it up, I just was a bit like, but how does that relate to art? Because it's about manuscripts and like drawing over existing, I don't know, maps or manuscripts or paper or whatever. But then when I heard it in the context of your work, it suddenly sort of fell in place. I was like, oh yeah, of course. It's like, it can be a surface that you like have layers and layers of, um, it, can you talk a bit about like this idea of the layers? Because I can see it behind you right now, the way
3: yeah, like you yeah. might
0: begin with a full complete canvas painted, but then you sort of go completely over it again.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so actually Marcel Joseph, she was one of my first ever studio visits. Um, and that, that was an amazing moment, actually. it was. I think I had the studio in London for about, well, a few months. And then finally some people coming in she was one of the first and it was a really great moment. She is very knowledgeable about painting. Um, but yeah, so I love that description. And I think, so I'm, I'm really, I love um, Ashok Gorky oh, yeah. because he got to a stage and actually de Kooning did as well when they didn't need all those layers. Later on in their life, they would just touch, one touch and it said everything. And it was just this effortless, Um, unedited spillage of expression. Um, I I mean, one day, I hope I get there, but at the moment, I reiterate, I cover up, I camouflage, I rework, I um, deface, you know, all all these things, because I think painting, unlike drawing, where drawing sort of exposes everything, it's much harder to um, re-edit yourself in drawing. That's why drawing is so important, actually, because unlike painting, you can't disguise with drawing. But with painting, I still still need to rework and Um, I'm not at the point where I can just one touch and walk away.
0: And actually in relation to the idea of slowing down as well, like, you know, going to where you are right now in a much more like peaceful location in a sense, um, you you said a quote before as well, that was like half of what painting is, is resisting the act of painting and living with it. So it's almost like the idea of pulling back and resisting to keep painting and to sort of withdraw from that act and then really think about the decision making. It's quite intense. Mm. I mean, I just, yeah, I'm really glad I'm not a painter, actually, because I think it's one of the hardest things.
1: <laughs> I think there's, like, a certain addiction to it. You know, you make a painting, you finish it, and then you're, you're on to the next. So it's this, you're, you're never yeah. satisfied, yeah. because you're always striving to create the next one. Is there an addictive tendency to being an artist?
3: I, I think there must be. I mean, I think it's there's sort of this hunger of finding... And when you find whatever, for me, I mean, when I find whatever um, one painting, um, you know, it gets to a completion, you found a resolve. uh, That hunt, it's so, it's such a kind of, um, it's an interesting way of looking at the world. It makes you kind of act like an observer and take everything in. And I suppose everyone has their outlet but with painting, it kind of offers so much um, in terms of expression, working, you know, life, working life out on, on the canvas. And it's also this sort of historic thing. I mean, it it almost traces your every step, you know, and I talk to painters in their 50s and they talk about paintings they made when they were in their 20s. And it's just it's incredible that, you know, you're even able to do that and have that vast kind of trace of your life. and. Um, I, I, I think that is an addictive thing to get into but also it's just very giving and uh, I think there's a lot to be said about what painting does.
1: Do you see yourself in the lineage of an art movement or within an art historical context?
3: I'd like to say that I, I'm attempting to be <laughs> you know I'm attempting to to get there and I think that there's what's really exciting is painting's so broad at the moment And there's so many brilliant painters at the moment working. Um, And it's, I I almost feel like Instagram's made it more accessible. You know, you don't have to be in London, you can be anywhere in the world. Um, I mean, for ages, I was just working in my garden and Instagram made it look like I could be elsewhere, you know, could be in London. Um, so I think I think that's a really exciting momentum going on with painting right now. And it's it's great to be a part of that.
1: I feel like especially with with like this momentum feels like it's very British based. I feel like I feel like the USA has had the Ninth Street women and they've had this abstract, abstract expressionist movement. But now it feels like in, the, in Britain, we have. Uh, a really female-led or non-binary-led movement with ABEX. You know, we've, we're looking at Jade Fadjatimi and Rachel Jones. I feel like you're part of it, Francesca Mollet. And I feel like there's older artists like Vada Victoria Cabano, Morton. Victoria Morton, Haley Tompkins, who have been doing this. But now it's all really starting to come together. And I, I, I'm feeling the instinct that it's a movement that can come to Britain. This abex moment, Brilliant. but like female-led <laughs> or non-binary female-led, you know, do you feel do you feel part of a kind of contemporary moment with that? Then
3: definitely. I mean, I think even some of the painters you've mentioned, I haven't met some I have, but we're aware of each other, and I think that there's a real moment for us to just take painting to the next the next level, however that may manifest, however that may look. But I think people are so committed. You know and um, liberated and empowered and it's, it's brilliant and I think um, there's an unstoppable charge going on. Yeah and, so. and actually
0: there were two moments I had in Art Basel in June 2022 uh, uh, earlier the summer and um, it was seeing Rachel Jones's uh, painting they had on on the gallery booth and then uh, seeing your painting at the Approaches booth and they both kind of stopped me in their tracks for similar reasons, not because, um, I mean, visually, I actually think your works are quite different, but, um, and also the thinking behind it is very different too. But, but I felt like there's this real like holding of the past, like holding the hand of the past. Yes. So it's almost familiar when you first see it. But then when you actually look, you're like, this is like nothing I've ever seen before. And it's really pushing creating something new and I was really baffled particularly by your one as well because I already I knew Rachel's language quite strongly but I wasn't as sort of familiar in real life with yours like I hadn't you know stood in front of a giant painting and really that was a giant painting um and it had so many things going on like it was such a complicated work and it made me feel all these different things but I, I like the future you know the the future looking element of it
3: oh that's that's really honestly that's so nice to be told um, you know you can't, you can't really um, fully understand what people actually think when you go to an exhibition and I'd go in there um, undercover just to kind of maybe for my own you know to look at the work and take it all in again but also you know you'd hear comments or you'd have conversations and they didn't actually know that you're the one that made what have the you work.
1: heard what have you heard good, um, have you heard good and bad oh,
3: this is good I'm trying to think now. I say that, but I can't even remember. (laughs) Well, I remember, do you know what? It was my last day, and there was a sausage dog that was my last ever guest, and that was the best one by (laughs) far. And what was the review of what
1: did did the sausage dog think?
3: He he wagged his tail a lot, (laughs) let me tell you.
0: Dogs love (laughs) art. Dogs
1: dogs love abstract expressionism above (laughs) everything else. It's it's a fact.
0: You know, um, this idea of like having to paint, having to create, having to make art. Um, I've heard that you definitely have that. Like you wake up in the morning and you feel like I have to paint today. And if you don't, you go crazy. Um, Can we go back? Uh, like two years to the lockdown, to what I referenced in the introduction, and this makeshift kind of garden studio in the south coast of England, which I don't know where on the south coast it was, which I'm quite fascinated by. Um, but can you talk about that and painting outdoors, like plein air painting, almost?
3: Yes. So I was um, doing my MA when uh, lockdown happened. I was in my first year, and this is the Royal College um, of Art.
1: You were doing your MA. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah,
3: yeah, exactly, and. I obviously, I mean, actually I was struggling to stay in London anyway. I was already kind of thinking, is was this the right decision to make doing an MA? Um, so I was kind of on the cusp of thinking, do I leave? And then lockdown happened. So I was basically made to leave anyways. So the decision made for me. What, can we just? Um, why, why
1: did you feel like it wasn't, why did you want to leave the course? What was the feeling there then?
3: Um. Um, I just felt like it was a lot of money for really what you get um, and I guess I had a lot of expectations and I, I think a lot of students get let down by um, some courses um, in art school and just unfortunately it just didn't feel like it met the financial um, commitment. requirements, mm. commitment. So that was where I was and I and I just thought right let's you know and then Covid happened so I took a year out and I thought right let's just um go home um and see what I can do there so I went home I live in West Sussex um do you know West Sussex? Is
0: that near near Brighton or something? No
3: yeah, sort of, yeah, sort of near Brighton. I'm like an hour away. I'm in this small place called Bracklesham, West Wittering. Oh, right. Um, yeah. right. <laughs> um, sort yeah. of. it's very quiet. It's very quiet there. And, you know, there's not a lot going on, but there's sort of a beach and you can walk and do that sort of thing. Um, but, you know, I was stuck there. I was waitressing and I was thinking, oh, how do I how do I keep on painting? Um, and so I thought well I'll build myself a self standing wall outside and I'll just paint outside and I did this through winter you know gloves layers (laughs) Um, for no other reason really to just then to just realize why do I actually paint you know what's the reason for for me painting if if I can't get up every day and um, and I don't want to paint then maybe it's not the the right thing for me. But I actually found that in this kind of place of um isolation, being alone, seeing very few people, uh, I found out that actually it's the only thing I wanted to do. And it was um it kept me entertained. And as you say with the boredom thing, I think when you're really bored, you can actually be surprised at what things you make creatively um and yeah just day in day out I worked out there and it was very much exposed to the elements I had this sort of makeshift roof um that kind of protected the work from the rain and things but it almost became sort of challenge that I was willing to accept and i just go out there every day and see see what would happen and it was very raw and unedited and it was just this moment in my life which I can always look back on and say I really learned something from that
1: were you able then to quit the waitressing job at some point? You haven't kept this going. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I know that
3: story. No, not... <laughs> but that, that, that's because yeah, so of the support pledge, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, so I was selling works on artist support pledge um, to just get materials and, you know... Can you explain then what that got, is
1: for people? That that this was a thing that was devised, that came up during COVID, which was incredibly inspiring. But what was the process yeah. of the artist support pledge?
3: Um, so basically you would put up five artworks, small artworks for I think £200, I think it was. Mm. And if you've sold up to five, you'd then buy someone else's work and then you'd sort of do the whole thing again. So that's what I did. I got a nice Phil Allen um, etching. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I can't remember who else's work I bought. I got quite a couple of works because I did it so much. and it really just helped me earn money and it meant I could stop waitressing. Um, and then eventually I got enough money to get a studio in London. And really that artist support pledge helped me get the rent to wow. stay there. Yeah, yeah.
0: And the, and the idea is you make small works, don't you? That, that are within yeah. that price bracket, depending on where you're at in your career, again. guess. Is it
1: still going um, or did it stop?
3: Um, it's definitely not what it was. I mean, everyone was doing it. Yeah. And you would do the hashtag. And I mean, there was literally everyone I know was sort of doing that.
0: And the guy who founded it, Matthew Burrows, he got an MBE, didn't he?
3: It's well deserved, because I mean, you know, I think it really res- it, it rescued me from relying on a sort of everyday job and being able to just fully commit to painting it was it was my route into being self sufficient on my paintings so
1: cool and and giving you that budget meant that you were able to get more materials and get these bigger yeah. canvases so w- yes. what is the drive for you with the bigger canvases and you were talking about you know right at the beginning about using your shoulder and your arm there's this big expression that you are really uh, committed to and it feels like yeah. these canvases are so much bigger than you that you know again this self-sabotage you feels like you're testing yourself can I achieve even bigger and do you have ambitions to go beyond
3: <laughs> yeah it's funny because the size thing I think I'm a big person I I'm quite I'm quite big in general and I think like my height and my my arms can really stretch out so for me, I, there is a, n- a level of comfort now to the scale, um, but really the the vast amount of space and the fact that I could put these canvases on the floor and all of a sudden the gravity is shifted in the painting. So instead of there being the physics of ground, sky, horizon, it's on the floor where my feet are. And it's almost like you're writing in sand or something. The, the whole kind of... Um, physiology and physics of this painting shifts completely and then you you can spin it on its head. And again, um, you're in a whole other perspective and it's just that physicality um, that really ends up asking a lot from the painter and you're almost reacting to it. And um, I think the scale just helps put you out of your comfort zone, but in a really comfortable way. Maybe I've just got used to it, I think, um, but...
0: I heard that you like to extend the paintbrush as well and that you use things yeah. like brooms and mops and then you've shovels got loads of and yeah, shovels and all kinds <laughs> of stuff. But you also have lots of hidden secrets, which is uh, a good thing, I think, because you don't want everyone else to just start making, you know, copies of your no. work somehow. You know what I mean? Copying all techniques. I mean. um, but how did that first happen? Like, was, was that a really exciting thing to discover when you can sort of extend the the brush
3: yeah so that was just about um distance, distancing my control so again um it's putting something between my brain and my hand and elbow you know and there's an extension and then there's the tool instead of it being so sort of close to the wrist it's beyond you and that distance really it affects the lap, the signature of the hand enormously there's that lack of control and that just helps loosen uh, it helps me loosen up it helps the painting kind of go into a direction where um things are just opened up and forms you can surprise yourself forms can um come out of this and you familiarize yourself with it but just from a distance um, it's hard to describe, actually, but it's just about it's it's about having lots of different ways of um, broadening a language and um, different methods to achieve a similar thing, which is a painting at the end.
1: Will, will all these methods go into an individual painting or can you find yourself working like with a sponge in one work and then you go to the next work and you work with is it quite a binary process or do all these energies come into one work?
3: Um, I think it all yeah, it all comes into one work. Yeah. So normally I'd start a painting um with a stick of charcoal and normally I put it on a long extension um so I can reach reach to the top, reach low, and have that fluidity um to make the footprint of the painting and then so it always I will starts react in drawing then. Yeah, yeah, ah, de- right. yeah definitely, definitely. Yeah, draw, drawing's really important, but it's something that um, just takes time. Like it's, it's al- almost ahead of you. It's almost ahead of painting because it's sort of so direct. Um, but it just takes me a long time to come around and accept the fact that that's where I'm going.
2: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile,
0: we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot,
2: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash loss. That's plushcare.com slash loss. <laughs> so it's like weird.
1: <laughs> I love that. Can we, can we also talk about your palette as well? you you described at some point that you like to introduce meaty tones, which really appealed to me for some reason, even though I'm a vegetarian. I really liked <laughs> the idea of that, but there feels this kind of cartoony Element and these are these do feel art historical, but yet they're contemporary, but yet they're also timeless. But I think what brings them for me today is that there's a kind of there's these neon flashes going through them, which feels like a very modern palette. Do you look to cartoons and kind of the, the color palette of animation in some ways in your work?
3: Um, do you know? I've never thought of that. <laughs> That's the first. That's a first. Um I don't I don't. <laughs> but I I could start. <laughs> <laughs>
1: you just, you to. No, yeah, I'm not telling you to do that. <laughs> but I'm just that's what I that's what I see because I, I mean I love I love pop art that's how I got into loving oh, art is through, is through yeah. cartoons things like Tintin the palette of comic books yes and I'm really responding to a lot of artists like yourself like Rachel Jones who's talking yeah. about who and Jade who have these fluoro flashes that kind of go through the work which differentiates it from art historical abex painting that I've seen mm, before and I'm really responding to that
3: yeah, I think that's I, I think that's an incredible observation. I think it's something that um, I've not made that link myself. I can definitely see why you've read it. Um, for me, it was sort of this this idea of the sat- saturated, the oversaturated, and then the more kind of masked or um something's being pushed back and pushed forward, and there's that vibration of colours. Um, and you can sort of feel it in the air like between you and the painting with what's going on with the palette Um, but maybe that's also just a comment on our generation and what's feeding us visually because on Instagram there's like that constant stream of of information and similarly to a cartoon it's sort of this repetition of boxes and colour and flashing and maybe that does feed into the work, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if it had an effect.
1: Like a comic strip. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah, Definitely. So
1: Instagram is a tool that you are referencing a lot and you're, you're on Instagram and you're, but no, but that that is, that is the thing, you know, that's how a lot (laughs) of people are, are seeing art, discovering art.
3: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I'm on it. I'm on it to see kind of what people are doing at my age, people are doing at the moment, um, Right now, it's great because I can sort of see what's happening in London, see what shows are on, but, you know, I can't go to them. So it's just nice to be able to have that. I I think it's great. I think it connects people. Um, I know there's negatives as well, but for me, I think it's really a brilliant platform for artists to link up. I've met amazing people on there.
0: Um, So... I know there's this metaphor that keeps reappearing with your work, which I guess you must have started. I think to do with excavating and archaeology, which Russ talked about earlier. But do you actually are you interested in like the pigments themselves? You know, we were talking about the color a second ago. Like, do you ever have like raw pigment, or have you ever used that within the work?
3: I have. I have a deep respect for it, but I've never. I've never dabbled with the raw pigments, um, and making paint myself. Um, I, I would love to. I just think that for now, it was the immediacy that a paint tube gives is perfect for what I need. Mm. Um, sometimes I will like um, put things in the paint or mix up a bit with the mediums I use, but other than that, um, no, I don't. I I keep to the tubes. And you predominantly paint. use
0: oil paint, though, don't you? Yeah.
3: Yeah. yeah. And why, why why yeah. is oil
0: paint so sort of? What what does it deliver for you personally?
3: Um, I think with oil paint, there's this real depth to colour and also it slows. it's a slow dryer. So um, you need the, this patience that I think acrylic kind of eliminates um, waiting time, which for some people it really works. But for me, I almost like to um, have to wait or scrape back um, and it just keeps the malleable um pace of the painting going it's like um, almost with sculpture you know how sculpture sculpture artists sort of put wet damp cloths on their sculpture and then they revisit it and it's still wet mm. and malleable I think that's a really important quality um, to my my gestures you know I can sort of shift them and change them and mold them um, and it being wet is a very important um, aspect to that
1: I guess the slow process also allows a history to develop within the painting, the layering, yes, that process. Yeah. It's not immediate, it, you do have to wait. And it feels like you really celebrate the slowing down and the quiet and having to wait and embracing the boredom.
3: Yeah, totally. This is brilliant. everything that Philip Guston says where he realises a painting Quite early on, and he just goes, "I oh, I haven't lived in it long enough," um, and he just scrapes the whole thing off and starts again, or you know, gets back into it. And there's something to be said about that. That um, that comment has really resonated with me ever since.
1: That I love that. Is it hard to give the paintings out into the world if you are living with them and and they do feed into the process? What's it like having to then? consign them to a gallery and they're off.
3: I get really sick of my own work as well. So it's fine. (laughs) You know, you you, you live with, the thing is, is you're, you're so sort of invested in a painting and you see it every day. um, And you're sort of committed to it as soon for me, as soon as it's finished, it's almost as if, you know, you're, you're done with it. It's not yours anymore. Um, And I'm just really comfortable with then letting it go off and, be seen I mean that's the greatest privilege is the fact that you know a painting gets seen by public I really love that.
0: Is language really important to you as in like the written word like poetry or or literature because everything I've read around the way that you describe art mm. is really poetic like Russ and I were talking about it earlier you've got a really wonderful use of language and like just just the way that you describe things do you read load or like maybe you don't I don't know it's just funny no, it really, well, we it, funny thinking about words every time we I had a conversation
1: the other day me and Pam online and we I was talking to you about this language and I said to you do you keep a diary like a daily diary where you jot down ideas. Cause I've just been watching the Andy Warhol diaries on Netflix. Oh, yeah. and I, oh, I, I, it yeah, was like so crack good. cocaine, like literally every night I was like, Oh my God, I get to watch another one. It was amazing. So and this diary. and I, I said this to you and then you come up with something incredibly profound. Like you said earlier on about the reflection in the dark sea and everybody's skin and how to stay with you. And you come up with this thing about Monk, And then I was like, right, write it down. And you've, you've, have you been writing?
3: I actually have so I, I have been hang on I've got I've got proof although it's a bit so here we go there Hurrah! we go okay, okay
1: check 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 I've considered proof yes all right you've been working
3: <laughs> but yeah no I mean I think so I then realized that after a conversation I don't think it counts for writing but I have this sort of stream of consciousness list where I just um every day I'll put a few words in. So it's, it's funny, I, f- I forgot I did that, but I'm so used to doing it that I'm almost unconscious of doing it now. Um, but that's where like my titles will come from. It's sort of this sort of everyday um, list that just keeps going on. Um, but since you said writing things down, I um, have been trying to do it. And I was talking to Mike Silver an amazing painter who recently had the solo in Anton Kern. So when I was in The Independent, he had his solo show, it was absolutely incredible. Um, But we were talking and he was, I've got got it written down. down. Um, So he basically paints people and we were talking about being sophisticated with paint. So I was saying, oh, if you try too hard with painting and you try and be too fussy or too clever, do you lose something? You know, I was looking at, um, oh, what's his name? Alfred Wallace. And the naivety of his touch, he's not trying to be too clever. He's not trying to show off too much. It exposes something raw and more felt. Mm. And we were sort of discussing some empathy in paint. And he paints people he lives with and um, has a real connection with. And the way he paints them is very intimate. And you can almost feel that he has that level of empathy with the way he paints. Anyway, we, we were talking about that and how sometimes being too clever with paint can disguise something a bit more meaningful and... Perhaps sometimes you've got to sit sit with yourself and allow the ugly bits to come out mm. because they'll actually say a lot more. Mm. Um, so that was I wrote. Ri- I wrote that down.
1: <laughs> Love what that. Was, what, what was the thing? Have you got it written down? What you said the other night about you know swimming oh, at
4: yeah,
3: well,
1: Did you write that down, or was that just a, to me on Instagram? It's not with me. Oh,
3: okay. Right. <laughs> what did I? What did I, I say? Let me see I can't if I can remember. Find it in your what messages. was it about Edvard Munch?
1: <laughs> Yeah, yeah was, well I think fun. it was about the the sea moment let me find it now it was really <laughs> profound and articulate and brilliant but yeah and you, you were saying about the independent That that's an art fair that happens in New York and you had a, a solo booth there with your gallery the Approach yeah. Gallery which would be great to talk about because Jake Miller who's director of the Approach this is a gallery above a pub the Approach pub in East London which is Part of art history from the, the London art movement. And he uh, is yes, Emma,
0: of course, and, Emma, in, yes. and Emma. Yes, is also the director, course. isn't she? Yes, yes, yes. yes, yes. yes.
1: And it's yeah. it's. He, yeah, both of them. Yeah. I found them incredibly generous over the years. Me and Rob both have, and, and the approach has been a really important gallery. And what, what has that been like while I'm while I'm trying to find your piece here? <laughs> what is it? What was that like? How did how did you meet Jake and Emma? And what has it been like working with the Approach Gallery, who are kind of part of the establishment?
3: I love the fact that you've said all that because both Emma and Jake have been incredible to work with and um, they just really understand how to um, allow a painter to have those moments of solitude and like what I'm doing now and be just totally cool with it. Um, But they're fascinating. And I, so the approach gallery is the gallery I used to go to um, all the time as a student, I'd go to all the openings. I'd really make an effort to, see those exhibitions mm-hmm. so I've, I've valued it for a long time and i was sort of aware also of its presence because a lot of older painters talk about the approach often yeah. so it's got this sort of legacy um, and I met so I think I met oh yeah I met Jake first um, he came to my Slade degree show and we just briefly met then Um, I met Emma in passing just by visiting the approach and I realised who Emma was and we, we talked and then I guess there was just meeting them occasionally at the approach often and then they sort of bridged the conversation by actually showing interest in the work. Um, and then it went from there and and it's a beautiful relationship that's kind of come out of it.
0: I love that that happened for you because I always tell um, students like I'd sometimes teach at RCA you know as a visiting lecturer or whatever um, even over Zoom and stuff or Goldsmiths or in different art schools across the UK but um, I always tell people like if you have a program that you love go to their openings get to know the people who work there Mm -hmm. because often those people go and set their own galleries up as well and maybe that'll be your new home do you know what i mean and i think passion and real passion though like a genuine thing like find what you love and then you'll find the like-minded people and it's really that it's it's not that it's actually not that complicated in a way like I think if it's genuine and it's like a truthful thing, like you were really connected to the programme. I mean, I think the approach yeah. showed people like Michael Radek like way, way before, yeah. you know, like they, they did really interesting shows and then sometimes the artists went on to other galleries and stuff. But like, I think it was, yeah, they, they've they been incredible, incredible. Um, Like they have a really good legacy, I think, within that yeah, East totally. London, yeah, along with like Maureen and different galleries there. Maureen but, yeah. and Paley, yeah.
3: Yeah, I love, love the East London... Um... I just love East London to be honest I'm a big fan of East London Um, but yeah I think they're really I just think they've they've always been they've always managed to kind of refresh their gallery as well and I think it's just a really exciting time again for them and it's just um, great to be on their programme and be a part of that.
0: Yeah, exactly. I loved their um Jack Lavender show. I thought that was extraordinary. Like yeah, that yeah, installation, oh yeah. like absolutely. something out of another planet. It was just amazing. You With know you've Mike box. Silver um and yeah. the empathy in his Uh, figurative paintings of people that's what I wanted to talk to you about as well because your paintings if you look at them people describe them as abstract and I know that you see it like that too because you're referencing landscape and whatever but also the thing that I've heard you talk about is like in non-representational work it's more the idea of the line the form of the the visual art like the actual art form itself and then linking to emotion and feeling and that you want Mm. to like you know put the feeling in but in a very different way to Mike Silver, like like the empathy you're talking about can you talk a bit about that?
3: Yeah, well, it's funny because me and Mike, I mean, we've been having this sort of constant voice message exchange the whole time I've been here. It's literally nonstop. stop um, But oddly, we have so many similarities, even though our work so, is so different. And um, I feel like portraiture and, or self-portraiture portraiture, um, resigns itself in, like, the handwriting more in my work but there's definitely a presence so like even how Hodgkin talks about it because he kind of was determined to stick to the fact that his paintings were actually comments on me every day and in his titles you see the references um, to exteriors or landscapes and I just think that um, life is just so kind of bizarre and surprising anyway and actually quite abstract when you really think about it that in a way, that language touches on it in a very kind of cutting way, even more so than just describing what the what visually something looks like. It's like looking in, and 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 seeing beyond what actually visually the aesthetics are. Um, so that's that's kind of how I see it.
1: When it comes to your your language, do you witness recurring motifs that you either kind of fight against or invite in?
3: probably I feel like I feel like maybe I haven't been painting long enough I think with me there's sort of muscle memory I don't know if I've said that earlier but I think that I witness um a pattern and also habits so habits is a big thing with me um, because I kind of approach a painting then I realize I'm doing the same thing I did maybe with the last two and um I guess familiarising myself with habits and deciding which ones I want to keep and which ones I want to abolish yes. is the way I go about it.
1: I can relate that to being an and... actor in the fact that it's tricks. That oh, you have things you rely on and sometimes I'm like, oh, I need that now because I'm unsure of what I'm doing and other times I'm like, I'm doing yes. that thing that I rely on when I'm unsure of something. So it's a constant battle of letting Things come in that you go, okay, that's a default, but that works for this moment. And other times, like, fuck yeah. off default. I want to find something fresher here. And it's a an totally. really interesting thing exactly within creativity. That's,
3: yeah. Yeah, I, that's really similar. Um, that's really revealing actually about acting. Because I don't, I'm not, I don't know many actors, but I can definitely see it. And it's a very it's it's almost um similar to painting in so far as you've got to be so self-aware, but then also abandon yourself in moments
1: and trying to discover something as that character that's new and fresh and and different in storytelling
0: I I actually heard you describe Pam that you were kind of like it's almost like better to be anti-style like like someone asked you a question about like style and you were like well actually you almost don't want to have a style as such because that's limiting yeah just to have like one thing that you do or something
3: yeah, it's very it's tricky because I think that every painter, once they've made a large amount of work, um, they put themselves in a corner and to get out of that corner, you have to do things which you're not very comfortable with or just change the angle or um, just try and expose yourself to another method of making. And I mean, recently I've been using drawing as so that. That's why I value drawing so much, because I do think it just broadens um, the scope of what's possible. Uh, But, yeah, I think style is problematic. And I think that there's a phony element to style. And um, I do think it's a trap. And I I just think there's so much more to painting than finding this one way and, and sticking to it.
0: Yeah, we've actually been re- Russ and I are both obsessed with Cassina Moda's work. I don't know if you know her work. Um, she's um, a painter. She's now showing it at Xavier Huffkins, Actually, she's amazing, and she oh. she's really good at like. Uh, have you always know it's her but she's sort of everything she does is a completely new shift and it's like she's recently been painting on ceramic tiles and like I don't know like her her vocabulary it's kind of like her
1: as well Toyino yeah, Toyino, Giotola 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 creates recreates yeah. a body of work and it's in a whole different medium and it's yes. a different and it's still it's still her, them but, but it's, it's like a, something
0: so different and I, I respect that so much and I don't even think it's conscious though. I think it's just something they they obviously do. But um, you know, the studio life, like we're looking at you right now in the studio. I've heard you describe many times that it's chaotic <laughs> and that you have to like fight the chaos. Um, what what is it like a day in the studio for you? Do you listen to music? Do you eat food? Like what how do you survive and sustain yourself?
3: Um, I feel like there's definitely a level of I've become so sort of used to being in the white walls of a studio space. And this is nice because it kind of abolishes that white wall box um, that I'm really used to. But usually in in that sort of studio environment, there's no distractions coming from the white walls. So you become very inward in thinking and the painting then becomes sort of manifestation of a very, inward um, psychological approach and it, and I, I'm just sort of very aware of how like different environments affect me in my, my mind and in my body and even the food I eat how they, that may affect the, the way I paint or um, the sort of day I'm having um, but yeah cha- chaotic I suppose I said that about when I have a lot of work going on it starts to become this very overwhelming space and the only way I can Um, keep keep going in that sort of environment is just being more selective and with what works I work on and try and keep things moderately in control and then now and again allowing the chaos to kind of resurface Mm. and then settle it all down again clear things up and then let things go wild and it's that sort of you need to It took me a while to understand how to properly manage a studio and how I best work. Um, And for me, it's sort of, I treat it almost like it's just life and you go there, you live it every day. And um, sometimes things will go really smoothly and other times it's a complete car crash and you're just sort of picking up the pieces and just thinking, oh, what day?
1: (laughs) So you paint every day? (laughs) Do you like having the studio to go to or does it bleed back into your
3: home life as well? Well, for a long time, I actually lived directly in my studio. So I had um, no kind of distinction between my private sort of life and the studio. It all kind of got merged and that became incredibly intense. Um, At the moment, I actually lived below so I can go down have a shower and come back up you know whatever it is um so yeah I think it's nice to have a distance I think it's important um I remember you know at one point I was commuting from down south to London it took me four hours to get to my studio yeah and I would just well so I would go up and then I'd stay a couple of nights and go back um yeah but like that that journey it I thought it was going to get to me I did it for about that sort of commuting I did for about a year and actually it was the best thing because my journey would really inform what I would then do in the studio and actually it made me really make the most of being in that space because slowing down
1: you've been forced (laughs) forced to slow down
0: but also having the focused days there Because you knew you were going to, yeah, that's interesting, because it's not so close. they were
3: so valuable. Yeah, so you have to really
0: focus when you're in the studio.
3: Yeah, and just make the most of it, because you made all that effort to get there, so you can't just put your legs up and, you know, think, oh, you know, Mm -hmm. I've got all this open time. Um, It was actually, I've got this few days, I've got to make the most of it um, before I have to head back. Do you listen to music in the studio? yes I do I'm listening to at the moment I've been listening to Iggy Pop really (laughs)
0: yeah oh cool
3: do do, do you think the music (laughs) plays a role in
0: the work like
3: Uh, definitely I think I think it affects your attitude so um you know if you if you really want something to get you in the mood of of of, and, and a pace that's really energetic um you choose sort of uh, something that's wild or unhinged, or you can choose something like jazz, or something that slows you down a bit more. Oh. Um, it's so important, actually. What you have on, really. I mean, if I have the news, and it's, you know, the news can be such such a distraction because some most of the time it's so gloom and depressing. Yeah, and it's also e- fear based, um, isn't it? It's becoming increasingly re- yeah, fear based yeah. over the last
0: few decades. But yeah, and then that just so, probably destroys anything for you, like creatively, horrible.
3: It just, it just, it definitely, I now only listen to the news of either the 11, the, the the night news, you know, when it's on later or I have it on in the morning and then recover during the day after what I've just listened to, you know? Mm-hmm. So I can't have that on all the time, but music's really, really the one thing I really love having on in the background um, or just, just white sort of music that's almost like white noise, not too many words. And then you can really kind of enter your own sort of focus um, but it change, changes depending on what I need.
1: What Russ, is you your... love a bit
0: of white noise, don't you? I love
1: white noise i love the brown the numerous, noise there's this there's new the new brown noise
3: <laughs>
0: brown noise i'm brown into noise? brown noise Never heard of yeah. that
1: <laughs> brown noise is a new thing and it really calms you and people are listening to brown noise to go to sleep wow. it's a real focus thing people who have adhd are really responding to brown noise really it's a whole it's a whole science yeah you need, oh, to, wow. need to you need to because get into brown the amount noise, of times
0: guys. i've been in hotel rooms with russ where we're like on a trip oh, yeah. somewhere and then he's like playing white noise and then i have to sit in the same room and I'm like, why am i doing this uh, not never anymore again.
1: not anymore never again I don't, I don't do that anymore but i did but I, it did it did help me for a while um a few quick fire questions what is your yes. top studio snack
0: oh. yeah you're not getting out of that one
1: no <laughs> you're covering your mouth you've well, so 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 got what you're
3: i've just i've just looked, looked over in the, the box of Maltesers so there's your answer I love Maltesers <laughs> we're like kindred spirits oh, um gone bright red are
1: you a tea coffee Tea or coffee drinker?
3: Tea. I drink way too much tea. Um in just cups of tea, endless cups of tea. Yeah.
1: Very good. With milk. With milk. With <laughs> no with, sugar. with whole milk or are you a, a plant-based milk? Whole milk. Whole, whole milk. milk. Good. And what <laughs> is the brand of the paint you use?
3: Oh, at the moment. So I do use a bit of a mix, but at the moment I've really splurged out on Old Holland. Mm. It's amazing. It's um the pigments, they the range. I mean, it's it's really something that paint, and it's a pu- it's a pure luxury to paint with. Yeah.
1: What is your studio fashion? What is your go to outfit if you're working?
3: Oh, well, oh. oh, it's not really. I don't think I'd call it fashion. It's sort of um, some grubby old shorts and a grubby old top covered in paint. Love. <laughs> not very. Not a look.
1: I think it's to look. I think it is people have been writing about that for centuries. Do you consider future generations looking at your artwork?
3: I, I mean I I would love that to be the case. Um I'm definitely ambitious with painting, but um I don't I don't sort of think about it actively, but I think if that was to ever be the case, that would be pretty cool. Um but it's just I think at the moment I'm just trying to discover and you know if, if I achieve anything then that would be really exciting.
1: Well I mean you said earlier on in, in your moments of loneliness you think about what you have achieved so far and you have achieved an incredible amount and then you've just mentioned you're ambitious with painting what are your ambitions when it comes to career and when it comes to your personal practice?
3: Well, I think it's a really interesting question because career comes up a lot and career um, career sort of is driving a lot of art education at the moment. It's very career based. For me, it's a bit of a dangerous term because I think that if you paint towards a career, you're, it's a bit dangerous. I think my ambitions um, reside themselves in really trying to understand paint and, and find out how far I can take painting that is my key key um drive and really having exhibitions enable that because you have a deadline and that really pushes yourself to come up with solutions and put put on a show and it's really benefits the work um but I think I don't know that I just have a problem with sometimes how um thinking about career can really kind of put you a few steps back in the studio and i think that that's something i i'm mindful of but um if i think about it too much it will actually significantly um stall me mm. in in the work mm.
1: it'll slow really- you down but not in a good way not in the way you want yeah i think yeah. i think
3: it, yeah yeah
0: i think it's really interesting the idea of professionalizing creativity and and that you're right it's such a thing within education now because they love to like tick boxes and do things in a very ordered way which is fine mm-hmm. if you're studying finance or if you're doing business or yeah. you're doing all these different there's but when it comes to creativity it's the same music or um, even graphic design and things like that I know even in that world they do adverts and stuff but it's like I just I agree with you I think it's incredibly problematic and I actually think arts mm-hmm. education's just like in a you know, there's an amazing uh, range of teachers, though. Still, I mean, there's some incredible oh, yeah. teachers I mean, at the RCA. all different, all the teachers I meet are incredible. But even they are yeah, being restricted, yeah. and you know, at the end of their tether when they're stressed out end because of, of the way they're being treated by the organisations, it's it's appalling.
3: Yeah, um, that you know, the um, the Slade is an amazing, amazing. I did my BA there, and that's that still manages to keep this core focus on uh painting or making and the conversations the crits there are just phenomenal um so i would push anyone if they're looking at art schools in london look at the Slade because the teachers there are phenomenal and um yeah, it's. I think it's the best art school. Well, art school in London, yeah. to be honest, and also and it's a beautiful, I mean, it's got beautiful, beautiful building. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. true.
0: But also, they're, that, they're, they're still running proper courses where yeah. it's like you know two, three years, or whatever. Whereas other plate institutions seem to be turning into one-year master programs and stuff, which is ludicrous. in the subject like painting, it's like one year wow. is not long enough. I'm afraid. Hi. Um, um, yeah well we ask every guest two questions as you may well know um the first question is if you could do an imaginary art heist anywhere around the world we can help you it can be giant it can be <laughs> tiny um which artwork would you take home
3: okay i've de- definitely got my answer ready <laughs> um so i i went to new york for the first time which is where you are isn't it You're in new i'm york.
1: in new york right now yeah yes yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah, so i went to the moma mm-hmm. and um I went, to, it was the most incredible, I think I went three times. I was only there for four days and I kept on having to go back because it was just the most life-changing experience going there. And um, Matisse's painting, The Piano Lesson, it just it moved me. I've never been moved quite like that. I mean, actually all of Matisse's painting in that room, I've, I stood there and I just shrunk I've and I I got consumed by it um and I would just I think that painting is just a masterpiece
1: there's an incredible um curation that's up there at the minute which is a matisse was that on when you were there yes oh
3: yeah, yeah, it was. Oh, my gosh. So and what, also Susan Rothenberg. Oh, I so. love Susan Rothenberg. They had, they was, she had loads of her work all I okay, out. Um, I need to go
0: well, she passed away, it, didn't she? It was really good. I think I've she passed away, that. and they must have done an exhibition after that, I think. Her, her, oh, her no, work was really so, in a way, I mean, she did get, I guess in the art world, she did exhibit, but I feel like she was always... Um,
1: Slightly overlooked.
0: Yeah, totally overlooked. In a, yeah, yeah, a, yeah. yeah. The work's and, amazing. They're not, yeah, amazing. I think
1: a Susan Rothenberg horse painting is kind of slowly inching up on my personal art heist I think God. that works amazing no but any, anybody <laughs> listening for the, the Matisse if the Red Studio show is still on the curation there I remember I walked in and I was like this is kind of confusing I don't know what's going on it's quite a small curation and then suddenly the penny dropped and I was like ah oh, this is genius and you're kind mm-hmm. of seeing everything in the Red Studio is actually surrounding you in the mm. exhibition space suddenly and it's like yeah. oh my god all the ephemera there's like a plate and a, a small kind of wooden it's amazing <laughs> it's so amazing. yes yeah. thank you for that one the other question is what is your favorite color
3: oh, yeah that I've got it all sorted in my head what I'm gonna say um so basically I was thinking of paint again pigments and there's just I mean, it's called raw umber. It's this sort of rusty brown. Um, and it's a very sort of cheap paint and a very sort of um, easy paint to get hold of. And it's kind of made of like earth pigments. I just think it's a fascinatingly resilient and broad uh, pigment to use. And Vermeer used as normally an underpainting, Rembrandt as well. And it's it sort of can be illuminated from behind and it's just um, very versatile. It's got some something about it, so that, yeah, that, that's my favourite colour as a, as a painter. Answer. <laughs>
1: Do you find yourself battling to reduce how much you introduce it into your work, or is it something you're always going towards and and enjoying having that around you?
3: Well, the thing is, is I I actually cut it out uh, years ago because I was using it too much. Yeah. So I sort of you know thought right, I'm going to drop that for a while. And only recently have I brought it back. So um, we'll see how, how I have changed my way of using, it's sort of this brown that has, it's very, very specific brown, but it's um, got this beautiful expan- expanse to it. Um, and I'm thinking of using it for when I'm painting about the n- nightlight, and, and hopefully that will help me sort of grasp the kind of weight and mood of nighttime. Um, but I haven't yet attempted it. So we'll see.
1: <laughs> what is the best advice you've received ever when it comes to your
3: art? Oh, that's a really good question, actually. Oh, I've been given so much good advice over the time. Probably don't be too precious. That was an early-on advice I got, and um, I think it really kind of has made me the sort of painter I am not being too precious about what I'm making
1: (laughs) very good I found your message to me I went swimming at 1am pitch black and what was amazing was our bodies were all illuminated like a real life monk painting and I said to you, start writing these things down because <laughs> <laughs> I think it will make a great diary, a great Andy Warp and Evelyn diary, uh, Netflix special coming up. Oh. What is, uh, what's, what's what's coming up for you then next? Where are these paintings going? Do you know?
3: Oh, um, I'm keeping things pretty cool at the moment. So there's, there's, there's definitely discussions happening. Um, but at the moment, we're, I'm just taking taking the pace down a bit focusing back on painting and just having these conversations but they're very much um in the mindset of let's let's make the work now and enable um those opportunities when the time is right so that's kind of my position at the moment
0: yeah i saw um tracy last night um uh, Lindsay mendick's performance and they were talking about this advice that tracy had been given from somebody where they said you've got a Um, always make sure you protect and prioritize the studio um, rather than the show and often people try and prioritize the show and then they fit around their work to a show and Tracy said that she's never done that because she was given that advice of like you know really prioritize the work the studio because out of that you'll find even the tiniest, you know, scrap of paper with a drawing on or or different things can become the show later. And the opportunities will come if your studio life is vibrant and, you know, uh, flowing well. So Mm. in a way, that's the priority. And I think for an artist at your, you know, stage in a sense, you're just beginning your career. You know, you've just graduated. You're just kind of on your journey in life. It's like, it's really important to remember that everything comes from the work. It's like, yeah, yeah, it's
3: just-
0: And it's also the simplest thing. That's what I find sometimes the best advice is like simple, isn't it? It's like yeah. the most obvious, but it's the thing that none of us remember because we all get caught up in. And th- that's also why I think priori- uh, professionalizing art too much is just a, a negative thing because it makes people worry about the, r- the wrong motivations or end goals. Mm. Mm. Um, yeah. Oh my God, it's been such a joy to meet you. Thank you I've loved it. And so much to Jake Miller and to Emmett Robertson at The Approach as well. Um, for showing your work in the UK. And you're also in a group <laughs> show at Massimo De Carlo. I think that's still on.
3: Yes, that's right. That's in Milan. Um, yeah. That's, uh, yeah, what you see is what you get. It's just finished, actually. I was just finished, yeah. Um, yeah, but it's been a great show. Betty Parsons was in it. God, Brilliant I loved painter. it. That that Brilliant.
0: work, that was my, I can't believe you highlighted that. That was the work for me <laughs> in the show alongside yours. Oh,
3: amazing. I think her work's
0: just major, isn't it? Yeah. So good.
3: Yeah. And I think she was like a gallerist. Yeah, she was, yeah. painted, yeah something like that yeah. and, it's and very she really fought for the abex
0: really early on she was one of the first yeah. people i think yeah, yeah i read all about her actually i love 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 her paintings um
3: so no it was brilliant it was a brilliant show to be a part of and uh yeah they've been really fun to work with as well brilliant very cool gallery where
0: can people find you on are you on instagram you are, aren't you
3: Yes, I am. Yep. Uh, Pam Evelyn on Instagram.
0: OK, we'll link to you there and you can go to at the Approach Gallery and Perez Projects. And um, yeah, you'll find it all at Pam's page. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we'll be back very soon. Season 14 has started. It has. Already remembering why we do this.
1: Yes, invigorated by art and by conversations. And for everybody uh, listening, go to our talk art and you can go to Pam's talk art and our talk art. I know there'll be images on there from when this episode goes out. Thank you, Pam.
3: Oh, thank you so much. I've really loved it.
1: See you all soon. Okay. We'll be
0: back very soon. Thanks for Bye.
3: listening. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
1: You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamond and Russell Toby.
0: Follow us on Instagram at TalkArt, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in today's episode with music by Jack Northover.
1: Subscribe to Talk Art at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts.
0: Give us a
2: rating and write us a comment. Thanks for listening. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things.